who's your steampunk sona oh um my my steampunk sona uh is marsilvia zounds Ooh. uh i'm the wife of lord zounds uh who was murdered in act one by our protagonist uh, in an effort to stop his evil machinations uh, and his evil ev- inventions from destroying the world. But as it turns out, the inventions were mine. And I <laughs> use them to seek revenge. Lightning yeah. bolts. Yeah. She also has a, a mech and a robot dog. That's sick. Yeah. Uh, my dead husband's brain is in the robot dog. It powers it. I love it. that. Thank you. Who's your steampunk Sona? My steampunk Sona is young Miss Scotch Marine. I love it. She lost her family in a terrible train accident when she was six, and then she was like adopted by mm-hmm. the train. By community. the train. Uh, by the that. train itself. Um, yeah. They put her to work cleaning out the inside of the steam boiler because she was the only one small enough to do it. Mm-hmm. And eventually, well, now she runs the whole train. She's the lead engineer of the train. Nice. And she's a badass. I love it. Is she the one that tries to kill Marsilvia? Yes. With the, tra- with the train. With the train. Oh my god. She's tied to the tracks. Train versus mech. I love it. <laughs> and robot dog. Team train. Up in here. Team steam. Mm-hmm. Steam team. Scotch Marine is a type of boiler. Oh, that's so good. And I thought that was, that was a really cool name. I love that. Thank you. It's a very good name. It just came from there. Mm-hmm. So this is Me Cute, a show where we talk only about steampunk. Yes. This is this This episode is our podcast's steampunk Sona. What would our podcast Steampunk Sona's name be? Steampunkers. Steampunks. Mm. Steampunked. Steampunked. You've been steampunked. So anyway, but we actually talk about all the places that art and science intersect. Mm-hmm. And I'm Lauren. And uh, my steampunk Sona is Scotch Marine. Uh, and I'm Lee. And my steampunk Sona is Marsilvia Zounds. And, and we're here mortal we are. enemies. Apparently, yes, in, we are in our universe. Yes, in the meat cute, in the meat cute, in the extended meat cute cinematic universe. <laughs> it's perfect. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because your husband's family owns the train line. He definitely does. Yeah, yeah. somehow it was involved with the accident. Oh yeah, and I'm murder. trying to. Well, he was trying to. He was trying to get the train to run through the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The first man ever to do so. Yeah. Yeah. And you were all like, hey, that's a place of natural splendor. And you killed him. Fraught with disaster. Yeah. But it's made me who I am today. Yeah, I would read this novel. I'm going to be real honest. <laughs> it would be really good. <laughs> I would read this steampunk novel. It would be very good. What What would it be called? Mm. Disaster in the Canyon. 
Mm. Locomotive to hell. (laughs) All aboard. Choo-choo. But then the whole time there's this detective that's trying to figure out what your husband's locomotive was. Oh, it's they're trying to they're trying to uh, figure out who the murderer was, but it's you. Why was it me? And you have to evade them because that's what happened in my in my backstory. My husband was killed by our oh. protagonist oh, to yeah, stop yeah, yeah, yeah. to stop his inventions, but they were my inventions. <laughs> Marsilvia Zounds. Marsilvia Zounds. This is a great story. It is. I love it. You know what else is a great story? Hmm. Getting this done in the next 45 minutes. Let's do it. Okay. So, I can start. I'm feeling okay. confident. Okay. So, sci- science and steampunk are extremely, extremely linked, right? Because yes. it is like, it's all science, basically. Yeah. Um, But I decided mostly to focus on boilers, as okay. you can tell from um, Scotch Marine. Yes. Um, just because I know a bit about them. I learned about them in school. I use them, um, during my job here in Buffalo last year. Like mm-hmm. I've seen them. They're, and they're very cool. They're very iconic when you think of kind of what steampunk is in mm-hmm. a sense. So yes. basically boilers are used to transfer heat from a heat source, such as like burning charcoal or coal burning gas, things like that, a nuclear reaction, mm-hmm. to a fluid, which is almost always water. Mm-hmm. Um, I did come across in my job last year, They one company had a boiler that didn't use water. They used like, some proprietary liquid that had better heat capacity within it. So it was yeah. better at keeping the heat and flowing around the building and stuff. So I thought that was really interesting. I'd never seen those before, but... They're, hmm. I think they're relatively rare compared to water boilers. Yeah. And they're used in a lot of different applications. So central heating is one popular application. So you'll heat up the water, turn it into hot water or hot steam, and then that'll be piped around a building and will just radiate heat off of that. So like you think of like old radiators. Yeah. Those I think usually have steam in them and they just radiate the heat off of there. Or boilers are usually used in energy generation, so they create steam that moves a turbine to generate energy. So as far as materials go, it's it's really important to choose the right materials because water and steam are particularly corrosive to different metals, but only some parts of each boiler are exposed to the water. Other parts are exposed to the heat, the heating element, the coal, the um, the gas and stuff. So different metals can be used in those. So some some boils will use ferretic stainless steel, which is like an iron-based stainless steel, in those heating elements. Because if you used it in in the part that's exposed to water or steam, it would rust really quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's also consideration for using materials that have high thermal efficiencies or thermal conductivity. So you can transfer the heat from where you're creating the heat from combustion into the water through that metal. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the Victorian era, wrought iron was used primarily for making boilers. 
um, because there's a lot of iron foundries that became popular at the time. And Mm -hmm. they had these panels that were just riveted together, which to me is kind of sketchy because like steam has a way of having a lot of pressure and yeah and it's just if it's just riveted together it doesn't seem like it's super strong but yeah um i did learn that wrought iron boilers corrode a lot more slowly than modern day steel ones oh which i had no idea i was like that's weird um and so they're less susceptible for like pitting which is like kind of the wear on the inside of the metal creates like little pits almost like a golf ball which Mm -hmm. um they're a lot less efficient of course but right yeah but they do last a lot longer so in my job last year i went to this um it was once like a gm factory or ford factory like i think it was a ford factory they made like model a's or something there yeah um way back in the day but we went into their boiler room and they used to have two of these like huge boilers like literally the size of the room Um, yeah one of them had already been taken out the second one they we walked in and i was like oh so this is the one that they want to replace that makes sense it's super old and the guy was like no we want to replace this one from 2011 because oh really it doesn't it doesn't perform the way that we want it to It, it doesn't keep our building heated the way that these massive ones do right um, so this boiler is like from the early 1910s 1920s yeah and they still use it they use that as their primary boiler yeah and i was like oh my god this is crazy so that was you know i guess that's a testament to how it's massive so like it'll last longer but i think they take care of it really well too um and it is a little bit less efficient um but for a building that it's a really really big building um and I think that boiler was made specifically to heat that building when it was installed. Whereas, like, the newer ones that they're just putting in, they're kind of guessing, like, this is big enough to heat our building without it being designed specifically to heat their building. Right. Yeah. So, it was really interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, boiler efficiency is something that's a, a way that people measure how good boilers are against each other, besides just... How much heat does it create? How much mm-hmm. steam does it create? Um, and it's basically just power out of the boiler divided by the power in because you're going to have more power coming in to the boiler than you are getting out of it. So it's, yes. a, it's a percentage. Okay. Yeah, because there's always energy loss. Energy loss, yes. Um, so power out takes into account the steam flow rate that's generated and the difference in the heat held by the steam and the incoming water which is called enthalpy. Um, it's just basically how much heat is held in the water, how much heat is held in the steam, and then the difference between those two. Mm-hmm. Um, and power in takes into account the feed water flow rate and something called the gross calorific value. Mm. Which That's is also nasty. how I measure myself. Yes, <laughs> the energy that I take in, um, which is basically like, the energy that is released from the material that's burned in the combustion. So how much energy is available to convert into steam. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of different types of boilers. And so a couple of my favorites are the mm-hmm. fire tube boiler, mm-hmm. which the combustion occurs in a tube or a series of tubes within the boiler. And then so around all those tubes is the water. 
So you have the combustion happening within these tubes in the boiler. Heat is transferring from that combustion from the material of the tube to the water to convert it into steam. So if it's just one tube, that's not great for transferring heat because you only have the small surface area of the fire tube and lots of water around. So it's trended towards newer models having many small pipes that kind of snake around within, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so the heat from the combustion, I guess the the gases that come off of that combustion travel through those tubes and dissipate heat into the water. And they're categorized by what's called their number of passes, which is just how many times the snake, the tubes snake around inside the boiler. Mm-hmm. So if it's three pass, it goes, you know, down and back and down and then out of the boiler. Mm-hmm. And this is the primary model that's used in steam trains. Okay. the fire tube. Yeah. Um, and they have a low rate of steam production. Because of just a smaller surface area and, and you know, the, the mass of the water around the tubes is so huge, right? Like, it takes it takes a lot less time to boil an inch of water in a pot than it does, you know, three inches of water in a pot. Yeah. So, yeah. because there's a huge mass of water around the tubes compared to the surface area of the tubes, they have a low rate of steam production, but they do have a high rate of steam storage capacity okay so it doesn't create it as fast but it can store it a lot more okay yeah and i wrote down that these are the round boys these Mm. are the ones you usually picture like a round a nice round boiler yeah um i love a nice round boiler more nice round boiler Mm. scotch marine is a type of fire tube boiler okay a round boy Mm mm-hmm um, and then there's water tube boilers, which is basically the opposite. The water is inside the tubes, and the combustion is happening in the space around the tubes. Okay. And so since the tubes are really small, you can create a really high pressure of steam within them. Mm-hmm. And so they conversely have a higher rate of steam production but can't store as much steam. And they're used in high-pressure applications. And they're usually the like square boilers. I don't know if you've ever seen square I haven't boilers. encountered as many boilers in my life as it seems that you have. I, so. I guess I have. They're very I'm cool. Unfortunately, to see. a little bit deficient. In I'll find you some pics. Boiler. Okay, thank you. Um, so since we're heating water, we're combusting something. We're heating water, creating a lot of pressure. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with boilers. Obviously, if there's a rupture in like the welds on the outside, if they're weak, or the rivets, or the material is thin. It can Mm -hmm. cause it to explode. Something that forms on the inside is called scale, which is basically like if you have hard water um, or materials in the water that kind of calcify on the inside of the boiler. If you don't treat your feed water coming in, it can decrease the lifetime of the boiler, of course, and it can also explode Mm -hmm. Um, because it creates rough edges on the inside and stuff like that. Or if it's a tube boiler, it can like clog almost like a blood clot, clog up the boiler and cause pressure to build up even more and explode. Um, If there's collapsed or dislodged tubes on the inside, this can lead to steam leaking out of the tubes. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think most particularly like steam engines, steam trains, Mm -hmm. the, the steam can leak out and leak through like where you'd be shoveling coal into it. Yeah. And damage the person that's shoveling the coal. Right. 
Um, See, most of my experience with boilers has been uh, images of them in animation. Uh, and as I as I'm aware, uh, seeing steam leak out means that it's working the way that yeah, it's intended right, to. Right. So I mean, there are so this is eye opening to me within steam steam systems. There are things called steam traps, mm-hmm. which um, kind of work to take a little bit of moisture out of the steam. Also, like decrease some of the pressure of the steam, and those do off gas steam. Steam traps, steam pressure reducers do um, kind of let the steam leak out a little bit to, to stabilize it as it's traveling throughout, like, a network of pipes. Yeah. Um, so it's not entirely false. Like, it could. You could be seeing that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Not, it, not, not, not always ideal. Not in a boiler, I don't think. No. Okay. A, yeah. A boiler, you know, is supposed to be a pressurized vessel, and if if there's a leak somewhere, that's it can be really bad. Yes, makes um, sense. If you if you turn off the feed water to the boiler and you let it just boil to it till it's dry, that can be really really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly for the boiler. But then if you add the feed water back in and the boiler's already heated, the water vaporizes so fast it can cause it to explode. Mm. which is also insane yes Um, nice so yeah so that's that's a lot that i've learned about boilers i find them really really interesting um i like their vibe their steampunkiness Mm -hmm. so i guess that ties in well to um whatever you have yeah uh it's a bold assumption to make i can uh, i can read your mind you did something about steampunk so Hopefully it ties in well. I did. Um, So I have a little bit of background on steampunk uh, before I jump into my main subject of the day. Um, So steampunk is a term that is attributed to author K.W. Jeter as a play on the already extant term cyberpunk. And it's a word he used to describe his 1979 H.G. Wells fan fiction novel Morlock Knight. Um, Of course. Yes, of course he did. Um, I, I've i also seen it described as speculative fiction, um, but the plot is basically that the Morlocks from the time machine travel back in time to Victorian London and wreak havoc. Um, not to worry, though. Uh, Merlin and King Arthur save the day. Um, so This is not necessarily just... a steampunk story I would read. Uh, that's fair. Um but it is uh, formative uh, in the genre. K.W. Jeter did write other things that were not H.G. Wells fan fiction or speculative fiction, if you want to be kind. Mm-hmm. But that was the one that he kind of coined the term steampunk to describe. Mm-hmm. So steampunk is a subgenre of science fiction and science fantasy that at its core takes modern technology and sets it in the 1800s, but reimagined within the confines of the tech used at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like you're talking about, it's steam boilers used to power things like robots and air travel. And punks. Yes. Um, I'm not going to talk as much about what steampunk has become, but more about its roots. 
So steampunk is inspired largely by Victorian authors, uh, some of whom we've already discussed on the podcast. Uh, <gasps> folks like H.G. Wells and Mary Shelley, who both of whom we've already talked about their work. Mm-hmm. Um, but also inspired by newcomer Jules Verne. <gasps> Welcome to the nice. show, Jules Verne. It's yes. great to have you here, Jules. It is. Um, so I am going to actually talk mostly about Jules Verne. Um, Quick disclaimer before I dive in. Uh, Jules Verne did not write steampunk novels. Jules Verne wrote modern science fiction novels in an era that would become the basis for steampunk. Don't come for me. Um, please. So Don't tweet uh, at me. <laughs> don't, don't, please don't at me. I know. I get it. Um, so in the late, late 1800s, uh, folks in Europe were getting real randy for science. This is a time that's still pre-industrial but huge breakthroughs Mm -hmm. like the steam engine and the telegraph and electricity are starting to really change people's lives and like in a really intensive and formative way you know this is just this is the beginning of all that kind of stuff we're not into the industrial era yet but technology is starting to become more prevalent and things that we would think of as machines are starting to become more prevalent so what goes into a steampunk novel? Steam. Yes. There are three main things that go into a steampunk novel that we got from Jules Verne. There's the characters, the journey, and of course, the machines. <laughs> I'm here for this. I'm so excited. Uh, so Verne's characters helped provide the archetype Mm -hmm. for the steampunk protagonist they're eccentric mad professors like otto lidenbrock in journey to the center of the earth or their aesthetic anti-heroes like nemo the submarine captain in Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea these are learned men who are using their knowledge to take dangerous journeys and make grand discoveries so the characters are the most important part of steampunk well Maybe not the most. The characters are one of the most important parts (laughs) of steampunk. Um, But so is the journey. And whether that's rappelling down a volcano in Iceland to find dinosaurs at the Earth's core or searching for a sea monster, terrorizing ships, Jules Verne's heroes answer the call to adventure with reckless abandon. (laughs) And integral to that adventure, most important in steampunk are the machines. The machines. The machines. So the most well-known aspect of steampunk and the most instantly recognizable are the machines that have been built into the genre's aesthetic. It's all gears and meters and pistons and dials and engines, and it's Mm -hmm. the same exact stuff that Jules Verne was writing about. But his at the time, and I'm going to go into a little bit of a aside about Jules Verne, Mm His novels were incredibly scientifically accurate. Mm. They were based so intensely in real science at the time and real technology. And I mean, it's not, it's all, of course, fiction. It's all science fiction. But he was very abreast of new discoveries that were being made. Even Journey to the Center of the Earth, where it's not like they're just rappelling down a volcano. Mm-hmm. They don't take some kind of fanciful machine to the Earth's core. But there's dinosaurs there and that's something that was like a very modern discovery Mm -hmm. at the time you know so 
it's all the same stuff that he was writing about. And it was just as fanciful to Victorian readers as it is now to us. Um, but like I said, like his ideas were very much rooted in the actual science and technology of the time. And steampunk authors now have taken a lot more liberty with writing about Victorian technology because it's very much it's very much a modern genre, steampunk is. Mm-hmm. It's I mean, it's very much a product of the modern era, product of a contemporary era. The underlying issues being explored really have changed. That's what mm-hmm. separates steampunk from Victorian era science fiction. That's what separates steampunk from H.G. Wells and from Jules Verne. Um, steampunk writing now is often more modern conceptually than it would like to let on, but those core tenets are lifted right from Jules Verne's work. Mm-hmm. You know, the machinery, the fantastic journey, the eccentric genius main character whose work and ideas are the direct catalyst for the in- <laughs> events of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's it's always so individual. It's always so individualistic. But it's a much more modern genre just because it's historical science fiction. Usually, you know, it tends to be set in a time other than our own, but a version of that time that never really existed. Mm-hmm. But it's very much about modern issues and, you know, a lot of it's anti-capitalist. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I think we need to do a Jules Verne episode. I think we just did. I love him. I Yeah, I love Jules Verne, too. And um, the thing that's kind of unfortunate, um, I mean, I grew up reading his books, Mm -hmm. like I really, really did. But a lot of the translations of his books, because his books were written in French, right? right? He's a French Mm -hmm. author. A lot of the translations, a lot of the early translations don't really get into the science of it all. They kind of get into, like, it's more about the sensationalism. It's more about the journey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not about the specificity with which he talks about his scientific ideas and these inventions that he's created for his characters out Mm -hmm. of absolutely nothing you know like it's not about that it's about and like I understand that you know because for most people that's not going to be the focus Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of those translations are the ones that we still use today for his novels so I don't know I don't know where to direct anybody for a better translation but learn French yeah the only way Scotch Marine and the journey to learn French. Mm-hmm. That is very cool. I really like when like the science informs the art, or yeah. vice versa. When yeah. they're like truly intrinsically linked in that way. Mm-hmm. No, and that's I mean that's all of science fiction, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's not unique to steampunk. Right. That's something that is all across science fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's something too that i think is very like rube goldbergian about steampunk like the whole especially taking modern technology and say and extrapolating and saying okay how could you make this with the technology available in 1863 Mm -hmm. how could you do that you know what what would it look like what would it be made out of you know i think too like there's something that's really accessible about steampunk. Like, you can look at a gear and kind of understand how it works. It's mechanical. Yeah. You can feel like you can understand it and you can touch it and you can play around with it yeah. in that sense. As yeah. opposed to, like, modern technology that's like, my car goes and it's all hidden under the hood or you know, stuff like right. that. Right. 
so i yeah. like that sort of like accessibility of it yeah and that was i mean that was a function of the time too like i think that mm-hmm. we talked a little bit about that uh when we talked about clocks mm-hmm. when we talked about early clocks yeah. that gears used to be accessible so that you could change them you know mm-hmm. so that you could take it apart easily and replace pieces that broke right but also it's very aesthetically interesting to look at yeah yeah i'm a fan yeah i never really got that into steampunk i don't know i kind of like it i I think it's interesting but it's just it's never really piqued my interest Mm -hmm. in the way that like cyberpunk or diesel punk did just for me personally i only ever read um Around the world in eighty days. Mm. See, that's one of the ones that I never did read, it, which is kind of wow. interesting. And now here we yeah. are doing a podcast. I know, it's incredible. It I wasn't. Know. It didn't throw the same kind of. Um, I don't think that it had as as much to do with technology as the other ones did. It, yeah. I mean, it had to do with you know making the world a smaller world and traveling around the world in eighty days, right? Mm-hmm. as per the title but yes i could extrapolate for that. me it wasn't much about like you know here's this new you know submarine that we can use to go and go on this journey but it was more mm-hmm. about the journey itself yeah it was still really good i liked it it was it was cute yeah no i think that's i mean that's something too that like journey to the center of the earth has mm-hmm. You know, where it's very much about, like, what is at the center of the Earth? Like, it's very speculative. It's not so much about the technology of how you get there. Because, really, how you get there is you just go down this volcano in Iceland. Mm -hmm. Like, he just finds this text and translates (laughs) it. And he's like, hey, wait a second. We we could just go down this volcano. Like, all right, let's let's do do it. it. Come on, nephew. Let's go down this volcano. Um, But that's what I really do love about his work is that it's kind of fanciful, Mm -hmm. but it's it's so rooted in science that you can look at it and say, okay, yes, like I see, you know, it's not inaccessible to think that like, okay, maybe there is a volcano that goes Mm -hmm. to the center of the earth. And in, you know, in the late 18th or the late 19th century, when this was published, who's just like, they didn't know that the earth's core was made of magma. Like they had no idea. So like, yeah, okay, maybe it's a weird tropical paradise, and that's where the dinosaurs are, and that's why we keep finding their bones <laughs> under the Earth's surface. Like, that makes so much sense. Yeah, I think Around the World in 80 Days was more about, like, it's a challenge, right? There's a definitive end, and there wasn't, like, a discovery aspect to it that the other ones right. have. Um, it was yeah. still really good. I liked it. Yeah, no, he's he's a really delightful... Yeah. author it's i really like do like jules very fanciful and adventurous without being like too heavy right yeah because that's like like hg wells was a real defeatist yeah. you know like hg wells was a real depressed guy i only read the time machine <laughs> yeah but i mean how how does humanity end you know yeah like awful like the time machine i love the time machine it was one of my favorite novels mm-hmm. growing up but like it's a real t- it's a real downer right exactly so and stressful not a lot of laughs in that one not a lot not a lot of laughs no mm-hmm. or in this one yeah but we have done very well at being concise 
That's true. Um, we've got about ten minutes. Well, we've got about nine minutes to wrap this thing up. Nine minutes. What are we gonna do? Um, we could talk about our uh, steampunk sonos. Yeah, I was thinking while we were recording the podcast, uh, as I do Congrats. because I'm never present in any moment. Um, maybe the detective is uh, Inspector Gadget. one of your parents. Oh, but I don't know. Yeah. Or like my or maybe brother, I'm like one a of your parents, sibling or something. Ooh, mm. ooh, yeah. What kind of juicy twist? Okay, so yeah. Here's, here's what happened. Here's what we know. Yeah. Yes. Scotch Marine, when she was young, like six or something, was on this mm-hmm. train journey mm-hmm. with her parents. Maybe the Transcontinental Railroad or something. The mm-hmm. first journey, but it went yes. goes terribly wrong, and the boiler explodes, and everyone dies on the train except for her and, and whoever else, whatever. Mm-hmm. But she's and she's a, adopted by the train. She's adopted by the train and Sir Topham Hat. And this is all. <laughs> this, this is, is also Thomas, Thomas the Tank Thomas Engine spinoff. It's a prequel. A prequel. <laughs> Thomas's brother, Ramus, Ramus explodes <laughs> in a terrible pressure accident. <laughs> Ramus the Tank Engine. <laughs> Ramus the rank engine. Damus the dank engine. His cool older brother that smokes weed all the time. Oh, he does it. Uh, that's what comes out of his smokestack. <laughs> that's also why he exploded because he was just lighting up all the time. Mm-hmm. Caused a pressure buildup. Yeah. Uh, that's when they first realized that you shouldn't drive while you're under the influence. That was the first DUI. Mm-hmm. So then Thomas was adopted by Sir Topham Hat. Yes. Anyway, so Scotch Marine. Family mm-hmm. dies. Adopted by the train. Mm-hmm. She cleans out the insides of the steam engine while mm-hmm. she's young. She gets mm-hmm. too big for that, and then she starts being the one that shovels the coal in. Mm-hmm. And then she like is super smart. Very cool. Becomes the lead engineer of the whole train company. But the whole mm-hmm. train company is owned by your husband. Uh, yeah, Lord Zounds. Lord Nestor Zounds. Lord Nestor Zounds owns the train company. He does. So then, Lord Nestor Zounds is building the first railroad to go into the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. But Scotch Marine sabotages the journey. The train also explodes. Mm-hmm. And Lord Nestor Zounds dies. Yes. And then that's where I come in. That's where you come in. Lady Marsilvia Zounds. Marsilvia Zounds. Uh, who, as it turns out, the idea to go into the Grand Canyon was mine all along. All along. Um, because I heard that there was uh, some black garnet down there that I was going to mm. use uh, to power my next invention. The energy uh, crystals. Yeah. I didn't care if I destroyed the Grand Canyon in the process because that's yeah. just how I am as a person. Yeah. So then I figure out what happened. And there's a detective that's investigating the explosion in the Grand Canyon. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I figure out what happened and I come after Scotch Marine um, because this whole incident is a little bit too similar uh, to the one that killed her family. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she knows a lot about the engines yes too much yeah a little bit too much uh so i come after her in my mech uh with my robot dog that's powered by my dead husband's brain and we have a we have kind of a showdown (gasps) turns out 
Here's the ultimate twist. Mm-hmm. Let me get it right in my brain. All right. Turns out the detective is actually Scotch Marine's father. Mm-hmm. And Marsilvia is having an affair with Scotch Marine's father. And Scotch Marine is actually Marsilvia's daughter. Yes. And that's why Nestor sabotaged the original journey to kill oh to kill the illegitimate daughter of his oh yes but both of them survive yes and they live happily ever after the end (laughs) that's gonna do it for us today i guess stay tuned for our new book coming out Mm -hmm. did we ever land on a title no no yeah we'll think about that one that one will come steam dunk steam dunk uh thank you to she's a spy um for letting us use their music for the beginning and end of our show it's very good and if you would like to check them out um they are on spotify and you can hear them there you can find us online at meetcutest.com and you can follow us on twitter at meetcutest yes for our dank photoshops every week Yes, yeah. Uh, If you enjoyed the time you spent with us today, uh, we are on iTunes and Spotify. You can find us there and subscribe to us. And why why not leave a review for the show on iTunes if you're into it? Um, That helps us out a little bit, I think. I haven't really figured out a concrete reason that it does, but other people tell people to do that, so I'm going to (laughs) start. I think the ending to our book should be like the ending to Matilda. Oh. Where Marsilvia adopts Scotch Marine. Yes. And then they build a massive empire. Steampunk empire. No, that's what it is. I kind of like win you over to my side. Right. There's no way to fight. No. There's no reason to fight. Oh, but at the end, and this is how we set it up for the sequel, uh, you're tinkering in your lab and you make a discovery that might topple the whole you've like built in like this whole kill switch like how they built oh. the kill switch into the the death star death star yeah is the one it's like rogue one scotch marine is the rogue one mhm we'll be righteous back <laughs> next week <laughs> thanks for listening <laughs>